So uh, if people don't remember for our October read, it was Stephen King's The Institute, his, 20, his 2019 big novel. I wouldn't count this as a horror because it didn't scare me at any point. There were no. only one or two parts where it even felt tense or uh, like I needed to keep reading to see what happened. My thoughts of it, the first two thirds, boring. The last third, quite entertaining until then also the last like 20 pages. So for me, this was disappointing. All right, friends, future Jenna here, jumping in once again with our trigger warnings. So these are just going to be for the book we are discussing, but there are some pretty serious ones. So just bear with me just one moment here. In this book, there are some pretty uh, in-depth discussions on kidnapping, murder, gun violence, mistreatment and injury to children, including hitting, electrocution, drowning, all of those really crazy types of things, as well as discussion and description of suicide and description of torture. So if any of those are going to be triggering for you, again, I know those are some pretty intense ones. Please keep that in mind. And if this is not going to be the episode for you, maybe skip this one. But if you are going to be okay with those, or if you've already read the book, then let's jump on into the episode. So thank you for listening. But yeah, spoilers. Where do you want to start? Oh boy. Um, I, I don't even know. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll start with you just kind of... figure out where you want to start. <laughs> well, I'll start with just, like I said, because I have a big problem with how Tim was handled in that whole prologue thing. Mm. It just, it felt like Stephen King attached a random short story he wanted to write to the mm. front of this book and then realized... Wait, this has to be connected somehow because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I don't mean to be, cause I, I still think I'll love his classics like Carrie and Shining and It, but it was just like this, the flap doesn't mention Tim at all, the back cover or anything. Okay, but it just because it doesn't well, no, mention I, I just, someone. Not to the fact that it just didn't mention someone, but it felt like we were starting a different book. It did not fit with what I was told and and it just, and that was kind of the boring story because we're you know we're following him. He, he leaves the plane and he wants to drift, and mm-hmm. we're hearing him take odd jobs on this road trip until he finally ends up in the town of Dupre, and becomes a night knocker. Which for those mm-hmm. who don't know is basically kind of during the night when police are you know again a, a sm- very old fashioned term <laughs> very and very small town that you know the police you know I think they what only have like ten officers they said or eight. Mm-hmm. is the total and so something like that yeah a, a night knocker just roams the streets knocks on businesses knocks on doors make sure everyone's closed up and all that and basically and if, has a clock with a like a key in it yeah um if you watch old like sherlock holmes and stuff like that you'll see it sometimes yeah where it's this big thing that they will carry and when they start one of their rounds they'll turn it so that they know what time they started and then when it ends and things like that yeah and 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 so it and it's built up to kind of put tim in a certain situation because he is the night knocker uh and he's doing a good job with it he ends up being there for months he says he'll eventually get to new york to meet his friend who is going to offer him security because i i think you mentioned it tim lost his job as a police officer in the time he lived in yeah. Okay, so yeah, he, he lost it because he ended up in a shooting where he killed a kid he thought had a gun. He didn't kill anyone. He basically, he got off uh, duty and went to the mall to pick up some shoes. 
some yeah. woman because he was still in uniform ran up right. to him and said this boy this young man whatever is waving a gun around and we need you to show up and so he goes over to help and basically pulls his gun and because the gun that this young man is waving he can't quite tell if it's real but it looks real and so he pulls it and basically shoots at the ceiling and hits one of those like big fluorescent lights oh in right malls, right right and it falls and hits someone that and was they it. end up in the hospital but they don't die or anything they no, just and- they get hurt and they're suing the police yeah department. <laughs> and so he he gets fired discharged from it mm-hmm. so his buddy was gonna hire him in new york for security so he ends up as the night knocker says he feels the need to because his grandfather was one and liked he, again he thinks it's a sign it's yeah. like this character of tim every once in a while has little glimpses of we're gonna talk about fate and then he just he never does and he that's the thing is starting this conversation and never and, the, and, I, and it's supposed to be hints to a reveal in the epilogue, which we'll get to, but these didn't feel like hints. It felt like it was supposed to be more supernatural. Yeah. So, and so the whole lead up is that on one of the nights, he's a night knocker. He saves a guy's life who gets mugged, gets shot. It's a pair of brothers and one of them gets shot and is, you know, bleeding out on the floor and Tim saves him. And then the sheriff says, Hey, do you want to be a cop again? I don't care about your bad rap. I will hire you as a cop. Obviously, you're good at being a cop. (laughs) Right. And then that's where that kind of ends. And then you jump to Luke in the beginning of his story. Mm -hmm. So the whole setup is to make you care for Tim and trust Tim so that when Tim comes back to And you do. I would say it succeeds in that. You, by the end of that, again, not chapter, but like big portion before the next Yeah, that's where it picked up. um, You, or at least I felt like, okay, this is at least overall seems like a good person. He seems trustworthy, which is, I think, really the only point of that is once Luke got to Dupre. And he is somebody who we uh, knew could be an ally. Yeah, Tim was the one that found him. We needed to know that he was a good guy, I guess. Well, that's the thing is because that's what (laughs) he was basically the device for Luke to trust because what made it wasted was the whole point was we build him up to now he's going to be a cop again. And after all this, it doesn't turn out. He does. He doesn't really end up being the cop again. Yeah, he doesn't. At all. In the end, because, <laughs> it doesn't because shit, like... shit hits the fan at the sheriff's station, and he just does not choose to be a cop. I was like, then what was the point of that buildup? Yeah. To he trust him. He starts dating one of the other deputies, and there's this line at the very end where, again, we will go into it, but basically, shit hits the fan, and everything goes crazy. And there's one line that he says when we're getting his inner monologue. And he says something along the lines of, oh, I would, I thought I could have stayed in Dupre. I could have stayed with Wendy. And yeah. then that's the end of what, of that thought. And, I was and I'm like, just are like, are you serious? Right but we now? built you up for 40 pages to be the badass cop of this small town. <laughs> and so, so it just bothered me because Tim. He didn't whole... take over as sheriff when the sheriff no, gets shot. No. Like nothing. <laughs> It just, he, it, just, he was literally, like ugh. you said, there to be the ally for Luke. And, and so he felt like a wasted character. So that's where I was pissed on that. With the story Which of, made me mad because he was a really interesting character. I liked him. I liked him. <laughs> um, and with ugh. Luke, uh, so like, and with all, all of Luke, 
when you get introduced to him, it's really very much about him being a genius. You kind mm-hmm. of start with his parents having a, a talk with the principal of the talented school he's in saying that they want to send this kid to two colleges Yeah, at 12 so, years old. Yeah, he then the next chapter is him taking the SAT, I think. But basically, it's the headmaster calls in his parents and says, no, nothing's wrong. He's not in trouble. I just, there's nothing left that we can do for him. Uh, One of the teachers compares it when he's talking to the headmaster and then the, I keep saying headmaster, uh, the principal, (laughs) Um, then relates it to his parents as well. But basically this teacher compares it to Jesus teaching the elderly yeah which was a lot for me like that just seemed <laughs> nice unnecessary. connection <laughs> but yeah he compares it to this and it's like we have nothing else to teach you my son go forth to mit and also yale and also this place i don't remember <laughs> he was gonna go to i think one of them was mit it was <laughs> mit and i think emerson yes yeah but yeah so he says there's nothing else we can do for him bye have a nice day here's a diploma and (laughs) cut to Luke taking an SAT and getting into both of these schools early admission and And then after that it's then his parents the night he gets kidnapped his parents killed to go isn't that so sad (laughs) oh god well and that's the thing is I felt like we could have cut the whole Tim opening and built up the parents more because it didn't feel tragic I I got to know them for like two two little chapters and then their death was oh they're dead well it Obviously, it's heartbreaking reading about these characters getting shot because that's their one sleep, of the which is that's so one of the heavy terrible. Details. Yeah, and that'll obviously have been reflected in my trigger warnings at the beginning. But it's so descriptive and just unnecessarily descriptive. But so it's obviously horrific to read that, and like they have a young child. Like th- this is so upsetting. But at the same time, we didn't have enough time to care about those characters, really. No. Um, so I I liked the beginning with Tim because it made me like him for later. Right. So maybe keep that in. But like, I wish this book is so long. I wish part of the 600 pages might have been talking about their home life or the parents right. relating to Luke or something before they were killed because then as you're reading Luke and in the institute I feel like obviously Luke has memories that he can cling to and be like oh but my parents good times I can remember good things and people we are don't good. have that and so he has things to cling to as we were reading these chapters upon chapters upon chapters <laughs> of him in the institute and having these tests we didn't have anything like that for him to or for us to cling to for him. The one that I just wish the, we had more of that. The one that hits the bullseye on that, Luke keeps referencing his best friend, the his best friend Rolf, who yeah. we never meet. He no, just we says see him quote right. unquote once. Where like if it's a movie, he would have been in a shot where after school his parents uh, are picking him up and it's like, oh, look, he's over there talking to his best friend and next door neighbor, Ralph. And that is it. <laughs> and then he keeps referencing Ralph and the times they shared and all that. I was like, I don't even know what Ralph looks like. And yeah, so- <laughs> I just, and obviously that's not necessary. Stephen King no. wanted to immediately get into the meat of the story, which he did after the whole Tim part. But like, 
my favorite parts of books are the characters. I love a character-driven novel. It's just that is what drives me in my reading is the characters and their lives. Exactly. And so I just, I would have really liked to have seen just a little bit of his home life before everything happened and he went to the Institute. Maybe just like a day at school with Rolf, like just right. one. A little and back then and forth dinner with, with his parents, like something. Yeah, and so it was it, like I felt like the more this uh, a, a little rant on it, where I felt like we got the most uh, pre-institute character interaction with Luke was when he was at the SATs. He talks with these high schoolers who kind <laughs> of want who kind of want to try and pick on him because they're like, "Why is this young kid here?" And yeah. Luke kind of one ups them, and then they leave. Well, but it was his this. this a uh, girl, you can assume she's a junior or a senior yeah. taking the SAT. Like you said, it seems like they want to kind of poke fun at him a little bit. And he says, oh, I'm here to take the test, just like you. And immediately <laughs> this uh, high school girl goes over to him and is like, what did you, what answer did you get for, for question one? seven or whatever? <laughs> He's like, oh, I got this one. She's like, I didn't get that. <laughs> right. And so it was like his interaction. It's so funny to me. His actually. interaction with that girl was more than I felt with his interaction with the parents because he keeps also yeah. referencing that interaction with that girl. Mm-hmm. And and it's just Which like. Which I thought was interesting. And so I thought that was going to come back somehow to something. Like maybe this girl I was going to. I thought the girl was going to work at the Institute. Yeah. Like, I she was, was gonna... waiting for her to come back. She didn't. Spoiler no. alert. And but I was, I was just... waiting. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, it's the SAT girl. That bitch. And right. It was like, just like she was on the no. team that killed my parents or she's secretly Gladys, like something. I figured yeah. maybe it was a a scout for the Institute or, or one something. Or one of the evil doctors that you heard about in back half. I was like, oh, and, and but no, yeah. no, no. I mean, she was 16. So that probably wouldn't have made a ton of sense. Well, but, I would have thought that maybe yeah. it turned out she was a woman who looked younger. So she was a scout. Maybe that she was keeping an eye on him. Sure. And that's, and so, but, but yeah, no. I, I was no. waiting for her to come back. She did um, not. I was disappointed. <laughs> and, and so then kind of the next section of the book is, like I said, all the testing. Luke going through the horrific tests, getting mm-hmm. tortured. And what is it that they're trying to do with these? And so the back cover and flap makes it almost seem like they want to take the powers or discover where they come from. When in truth, what mm-hmm. they want, it's supposed to be this big conspiracy where it turns out they're using the kids where all these tests are really to kind of try and boost their powers, but also give them a cap so they don't become too powerful. Mm -hmm. They put them all in a room, basically turn their minds into mush because what, what, what makes you actually more powerful, the kids discover is wanting to use the power uh, is the, is the, is the belief in want basically the the choice of yourself instead of kind of having a goal with the power and so what they do is they get rid of their minds. And when they get rid of their minds and become mindless zombies, then the power is stronger. I wouldn't say that necessarily. It's not, I don't think that it's on purpose. No. It, I don't remember what the analogy is that Luke and Avery use. Uh, I Again, I should have written that down. Most of this book I read in bed. So I took <laughs> about approximately zero notes but so I don't remember exactly what it was but it it seems like just the more they are forced to use their powers the less of themselves and their personalities that there are until really the only thing left of their minds is the power like they are kind of just 
vessels for the power at that right. point. And so what they then do is they use all of that power because uh, with the testing of even if they're TKs, telekinesis, they then make them get TP, telepathy. And so the whole plan is to get them all to have at least a base of telepathy so then they can assassinate people out in the world who they think will cause a chain of events threat to the, the earth. And, any, and so the big reveal is you learn there are more institutes. They're all yeah. over the world. And that's the last and second. The big re- <sighs> so the big reveal happens, like it's first mentioned, I guess. Uh, we talked about Maureen, who is the housekeeper that helps Luke escape. And the only kind one. <laughs> well, I mean, she was spying on the kids and being yeah. like, it's safe here, you can tell me. And then it wasn't. So I wouldn't say kind necessarily, possibly redeemable. Sympathetic. Sympathetic is the word I would use. But anyway, she's the housekeeper that helps him escape. It's kind of all you really need to know. Yep. But she, when he escapes, she gives him a flash drive. Oh my God. Speaking of forced... Uh, Nostalgia, all I could think of was floppy disk. Oh my God. My brain just <laughs> no, then. The other day, I will oh say boy. just a little random side note. The other day when I had to get my new laptop because my laptop crapped out, my mom randomly mentioned, she was like, why not just use a floppy disk? And me and my dad at the, me and my dad at the same mom. time, both, <laughs> me and my dad at the same time, both looked at her and almost in sync was like how old are you seen a floppy disk since i was like 10 (laughs) right but yeah uh, maureen gives him a flash drive where she confesses her sins essentially yeah it's mostly a i want to get these things off my chest to make me feel better because she commits suicide when luke leaves because she knows they'll kill her anyway which i will say yeah so it's it's mostly just like i want to get these things that i did out into the world to make me feel better and that was a little frustrating again not necessarily on Stephen King's part but on the character like why yeah. is what you want to say but she does like you said commit suicide and that is one of the moments I was alluding to earlier in the episode mm-hmm. that is incredibly descriptive and yeah. it's not we don't get her point of view so we don't watch her commit suicide it's already the aftermath yes but the another one of the janitors and Mrs. Sigsby, the headmistress, find her and the discussion of how they find her, what she looks like, what happened, the all of these in. things. Yeah, just incredibly descriptive. Yeah, and yeah, and mm. I'll agree with that a little bit. I was kind of for me, it was when um, I, I won't say because people will know, but what happens when a body is done you know when he grabs her and he makes a joke about it i'm like i didn't need to hear that but past that so the video after her sins she then actually has footage of ward a which people which is the other part i was fully talking about yeah this was necessary for the story but the amount of depth that he went into it i so this was necessary the back half of back half what was ward a and it's where they They call it gorky park so when these kids basically are just shells and they don't have their minds left anymore. Mm-hmm. They, The people at the Institute refer to them as Gorks, G-O-R-K. I'm not sure why I am a bad podcast host. Like I didn't look it up. It's gotta be uh, some sort of reference, but it, it, I almost yeah. got the feeling that it was extremely offensive, but we just don't know. <laughs> That's the thing. Um, Kalisha, 
the little girl we had mentioned little girl she's like 13 i think yeah um <laughs> once you're above the age of like 23 i feel everyone's like kids. everyone starts seeing seeming <laughs> 10 <laughs> um she is a young black woman and she later on once they are trying to overthrow the institute and nikki the kind of james dean rebel without a cause guy in the institute yep yep starts referring to the gorks and she kind of she um relates to it as the n-word she's like this is as bad as you calling me this so like we can't call them that so it has to be a reference to something, but I, I didn't look it up. I'm no, yeah. the worst. <laughs> I and was so busy and didn't no, want to think it's about it okay. anymore. I was having a hard time reading through it too. <laughs> but so it, she gets, Maureen gets the footage of Ward A. Mm-hmm. And essentially when they are the mindless shells, it's this room where they basically roam. The, most, some of them are naked. Some of them are half naked. There's yeah. literally a trough for them to defecate in. Mm-hmm. Almost and as if, it describes a girl yep. doing just that. And, and then there's a trough for food that is almost like just, it like literally is trough. just- it's just I sloth. read Charlotte's Web for the You episode, yeah. and it was literally that, but in this room for children. That, they said some of them just dunk their face in it and don't even eat. It's just they know that that's supposed to be yeah. sustenance, and so and and so and, even once they try to start this uprising, for mm-hmm. lack of really a better term for it, and they try to kind of take control of the institute, there obviously aren't clothes necessarily for them to give Mm -hmm. these ward a children and so it's these main five kids uh obviously excluding luke because he's gone at this point so the other five that were his good friends in front half that had then moved to back half and then just this nameless basically mindless blob of children that are all naked and dirty and covered in really terrible things some of them are banging their heads on the wall shouting out random phrases they refer to ward a or they reference it as uh an old-fashioned insane asylum basically where one there was one line again if it hadn't been 2 a.m i would have written it down but Mm -hmm. it was something about it, it was in asylum back when they didn't fix anyone they just kept them yeah like they just lived the rest of their life there and it was so much yeah and it's and so with that that kind of is all the start of of like the the last third because mm-hmm. the as we said when they're in there they they meet all the friends horrible things happen all the tests and then luke escapes and that's when it picks up because I loved watching the, it was a long section of Luke traveling and getting away. Like Maureen gave him, you know, steps of how to leave. Like, okay, when you climb out under the fence, like literally that's what was all it took yeah, to get out of the Institute. she planned out his entire escape for him. She had roadmaps like, for him to get hit. The, there's an ice machine where they would talk a lot. And she's like, get the scoop from the ice machine. Use it to dig a hole under the fence and get out that way. You're going to go uh, right five, on the other side right. of the 
fence from the trampoline and then take half a step, like a medium step to your right. <laughs> so you're facing that way and then walk directly in that or in that direction for about 2000 steps yeah about 2000 <laughs> steps and when you get to a uh, big <laughs> yellow light you'll meet a fence and walk to the right of the fence until you see a scarf tied in a tree and then keep going that direction like there it will just... be a boat it was so in-depth and i'm like right. when the Hell. Did she have the time to did do this? Did she have this? the time to do this shit? <laughs> she, let me tell you, she did not. No. And so, and it was the, so that, much. That's when the book picked up is <laughs> Luke's escape because then, because like I said, the tests were repetitive. Nothing was happening in mm -hmm. uh, the Institute. Slowly, his friends were going to back half, and then it was just him and Avery and new kids yeah. that you didn't even care to know because you just knew, oh, we have more kids all of a sudden. We're, we're yeah. becoming a full institution now. But when he escapes, he, you know, hops on a freight train like the cover shows. And there are a few almost close calls on that. And then he eventually ends up in Dupre and finds uh, Tim, him and Wendy, the other officers. And that and is then when it's shocking. There's someone spying. A spy. <laughs> there is discussion um, along with Tim's and Luke's and Avery's. We also get the point of view of a couple of the adults in the institute not very often it's much rarer but just enough to kind of know where luke's story is gonna go and at one of those points we do learn that there are people kind, kind of like scouts working for the institute in every town that this train luke is on stops Somehow. in all over the country supposedly every single town in all of the u.s apparently and so I did like someone waiting for him in Dupre. Also. I did like how it turned out to be someone that we did kind of get to know uh, in Tim's and time. And was already creepy. <laughs> right. It was like uh, in Tim's prologue, you he does stay for a little bit at a motel that's very cheap and it's run down and no one really likes to go there. And the owner is named Norbert and he's just a guy who likes to walk I up and kind of- I forgot that was his name. <laughs> he, he, he gets to like- he What likes... an old man name. <laughs> oh yeah, Norbert Hollister. And he, he, he likes to go to his guests and kind of just ask questions. And even Tim's like, go away, like Isn't mind it mentioned that he also, yes, because when, so before he decides to stay, obviously, Tim meets with the sheriff. This is not important to the story no, at no. all, but it's very funny to me now that I remember it. Um, <laughs> but obviously, he meets with the sheriff to talk about a job at, as the night knocker. And he's like, yeah, go uh, to Norbert and you can stay in the motel, blah, blah, blah. Check the bed before you lay down because there's probably bed bugs. Also... And then the sheriff kind of looks at him and he's like, nah, never mind. You're good. You still have that cop look about you. So he probably won't try and sell you drugs. And you're <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so apparently Tim looks like a cop and that's all we know about him. Well, right. And, and then, <laughs> and so Norbert's the guy who kind of likes to just ask questions. And so I was waiting for when Luke got to Dupre. All right, who is it? I'm going to assume it's one of the deputies or the sheriff. It's going to be someone I that- expected it to be one of the cops that we wanted to be a good guy. Yeah. And then it's Norbert. I was like, that 
Bastard. Or like it's Wendy. Ooh, <laughs> oh, that would have been yeah. a plot twist. I would have hated that because Tim and Wendy do end up together and it was so cute, even with how small that relationship was in. And then I was like, I swear to God, if Wendy's the stringer, I'm going to lose my mind. And so, but but no, yeah, it was this or, already creepy guy. So we weren't mad about it. We were like, checks out. <laughs> or Orphan Annie. <laughs> Orphan Annie is the town. We haven't mentioned her yet. No, we, she's the She's town's... not important to the plot really until she's the wacky the, character. Like, second to last chapter, but it's she's the town's crazy homeless woman who believes. Yeah, she's kind of con- the town crazy lady, and she believes in conspiracy theories, and she always <laughs> talks to Tim about them. But it's funny because then when Luke comes and tells the story, she's like, "I was right." She's- literally she's like they came in black vans didn't they black sedans and then they did this and they killed your parents and they kidnapped you didn't they and he's like yes yeah and and she's the one because that's when action happens is uh basically (laughs) mrs sigsby takes a crew uh some of the extraction teams to go get luke and it ends up in a shootout at the sheriff's office a lot of the cops die so all of the cops die except for wendy and tim and and the one cop who was not in town, who was on vacation. Yeah, and the one that's on vacation, who then becomes sheriff, even though Tim should become sheriff just because that's the only thing that would have made the first portion seem worthwhile. Relevant. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, relevant is the word I was thinking of. I swear to God, my brain. (laughs) But yeah. So, like he said, it ends up in a shootout. That makes sense a whole team from the Institute goes to this town and figures he'll be at the police department. So they go there and they have lots of guns. The police have some guns, but not as many at the ready because they don't know what's coming. I was prepared for this. And then Stephen King decided, apparently, that stereotypical Southern, like, Gun-toting Southerners were going to save the day. Orphan Annie's one of them. She's there. She's there with her, like, sombrero and weird outfit and has a gun in each hand. And I, this is the only quote that I wrote down for the entire book because it was so ridiculous. She's looking at these heavily armed, with, like, machine gun people, ex-military. Right. And... She looks at them and says, this isn't playing, boys. You're in the South now. Yep. <laughs> and, and so I hated it so much. So, yeah. And, and, <laughs> I was so mad. I turned so, to Nick and I said, God damn it. The Southerners <laughs> with guns are trying to save the day. And watch, Whoa. they're going to. <laughs> and, <laughs> I was, I was and, over it at that point. <laughs> It was it was funny and ridiculous and yes yeah, so all the cops die but Tim and Wendy, including the big bad sheriff, and all that one of, made me sad just because he seemed cool. Yeah, he's, he and, was a fun character. And all the others die except for Mrs. Sigsby and one of the doctors who constantly Dr. tries to. Evans. Yeah, and he's like, I was forced on this trip against my will. <laughs> Which, to be fair. He kind of was. Right. That is one of the only other, like, from Sigsby's perspective, moments that we get is him being like, I don't want to go. And she's like, suck it up. And they try to give him a gun. He's like, I don't want to touch it. And they're like, yeah. then so you're going to die. he's kind of forced to be there. He's not um, lying. But they are the only two that survive. And so then this leads to 
Stackhouse back at the Institute realizes mm -hmm. this is, well, no, he doesn't realize it, but he's waiting for the call that they have Luke or have killed Luke. Meanwhile, so, the kids in back half, led by Avery, mm -hmm. figure out that, A, they figure out they're killing people on the outside yep. without knowing or consenting to doing so. Mm -hmm. And then they also realize that they can use their powers on their own without being told to do that. And that they can kind of connect and tap into the power of the kids in Ward A as well. And they're also able to reach out to Luke in Dupree. So like they are starting to put pieces together that they can kind of connect with children like themselves yeah. outside of the Institute. And that's when they start this uprising and Avery with the help of Kalisha and Nick specifically, but also George a little bit mm -hmm. um, yeah. are like, they, we can be in charge of this place. <laughs> yeah. They, they lead it. And essentially what, what they're working on is then Luke and Tim and Wendy, Wendy stays behind as their insurance policy, mm -hmm. but Luke and Tim take Mrs. Sigsby and Evans to fly all the way back to the Institute because he got states away. Like the Institute's in Maine and he yeah. ended up in, uh, was it South, South Carolina? Carolina yeah. Think. So they, they are making their way back to save the kids while the kids are using their combined power to manipulate, beat up the caretakers, break open doors to get out. They get locked in a hallway. Um, mm -hmm. The hallway that connects front half from back half. Right. So they're underground. Mm -hmm. And so the hiccups now. <laughs> the, the big climax is that everything happens together. Tim and Luke make it to they they set up a plan with where Sigsby. Like, they take her yeah. with them. Yeah. With Sigsby, you're gonna get us a, a school bus. The kids are gonna get you're gonna let the kids out. We're gonna leave, and I'm gonna give you the flash drive that has the information and your institute will make Yeah, and carry we won't on. tell anyone. Like you can right. keep it a secret, but we're taking the kids that are currently in it with us. Yeah. It's like, and this is not okay. Um, eh. And I'm going to jump in here because right around then is when my favorite scene happens. Okay. So like I kind of said, Luke still has this connection to the kids in the Institute, even though he's not there anymore. And they realize that and kind of start talking to him and trying to figure out what his plan is. And he basically tells Tim, I am I know that we aren't going to be able to save everyone. We're not going there to save them. We're going there to buy them time because I know what they're planning and I know that they will be able to do it on their own, which I also just liked as an idea because so few people think of children as capable people. Like yeah. there are some things that they're not capable of doing on their own, but I liked the fact that because it was from Luke's perspective and he and Avery and Kalisha a bit were kind of talking telepathically across states. He was like, hey, Tim, adult in the situation. I got this. <laughs> and Tim was like, cool. <laughs> yep. But anyway, and so back at the Institute, they're locked in this hallway underground and they can't use their powers to get out. Uh, they had stolen a key card, but someone in the IT like security room, basically the surveillance room, locked all of the locks and turned them off. And so you can't use the card anymore. So they can't get out. There's no way for them to do that at the current time. 
And so they're all sleeping. And it turns out that they're all having this collective dream together, all of them. And it's basically, we, the only time we really see the dream is through Kalisha's head. Um, but it's basically, she's in a hallway in the Institute and there's a phone ringing and she picks it up. And I don't remember which languages it is or what order they go in, but basically someone in another language, I think it's Italian first says, hello, can you hear me? And she's like, I don't know this language, but somehow I understand what they're saying. And she responds, yes, I can hear you. And the person hangs up. And then she hears another phone and walks into a different room and it's a completely different place. And there's another phone that's bigger and someone in a different language says, hello, can you hear me? And she says, yes, I can hear you. Who is this? They hang up. And it keeps going into these different rooms, vastly different places. Um, The phones keep getting bigger and every time it's a different language. And all of the kids in this hallway are having this dream. And I think Luke is as well, but it never explicitly says it. It just says that he knows their plan. I kind I th- of assumed that that was the case. Because it's it, it's Avery is the one who puts it together that that means they realize there are more institutes around the world. Yeah. And they're all doing what they're doing, becoming the hive mind of power to work together. Yeah. And so Luke kind of, and I so think- So you get the idea that children in institutes in like Korea and mm-hmm, Switzerland mm-hmm. and all of these other places are also having this dream and feeling this connection and having their own uprisings and so mm-hmm. uh and so was your scene the the hallway the dream so it's the dream uh and then from that Avery starts referring to the big phone quote yep. unquote and that's what I think the next big heading is called as the big phone yeah and it's basically he like you said, he, and also Luke, because Luke explains it to Tim, which is when we fully understand Mm -hmm. it, um, figure out that this dream is all of these children across the globe connecting with each other through their powers. And Avery starts talking about, I can get us out of here. I can stop this. I can save people. I need to answer the big phone. And which I just thought was really cool. And so it ends up being something that he does completely in his mind, obviously, but he kind of taps into the power of his friends and the Ward A kids and the kids in all of the other institutes. And he takes that in himself and he kind of, it seems like goes supernova almost and just like he becomes the power for all of them and that's what i loved is uh, as like the best visual like if this does get a movie adaptation eventually like that's that gonna is be the, the scene, scene i want to see yeah. and and so he does that he has basically when he does that becomes a supernova he becomes a sacrifice because then he becomes one of the mindless, but he is now just that raw power leading the charge. And so he makes sure all his friends get out and all the, and it's this cool moment where it's, he's holding all their hands and he gives each of them a chance to let go. Mm -hmm. But before the power link can go away, someone else grabs the hand. And when it gets to the last person, then it's a ward a person who even mindless grabs that hand to keep that link. So, you know, that part of them is still in there. It's all instinctual. You can tell, which, which is really cool. I thought their power was calling to each other and they were Mm -hmm. 
even those war day kids that again at this point they are only the shells of the children that yeah, they once that, were like that, they don't have their minds anymore and they that can't was, think for themselves that was the highest moment it just that yeah. whole section was and this this is basically like you said there's the big chunks with chapters in it this mm. chunk was the reason that I still enjoyed this book. Yes, it was that. All and that's on where its I, own was I, this portion. And it still tugged me forward. And so I loved it. Yeah. And you know that Avery's not going to make it out of this then after that, yeah. which is so sad. And so his the- last thought, ugh, I have to say, one thing that I did think was so dumb and unnecessary was apparently he was kind of bullied at school when he was a kid, which, oh, or that- when he was at regular school, which exposition made me sad. dump again. But. <laughs> Basically, like you just said, you know that Avery's going to die. You know it. The other kids, the main five or four now without Avery, doesn't matter. The other ones are running through the Institute as it is literally falling down on top of them. Like the amount of power is too much for this building and it is raising into the air and they have to jump out through a window to get down to the ground Mm -hmm. on the outside. But the very last thing it's like and then as the like bleach or whatever gas was poisoning him and as the roof fell in on top of him avery's last thought was i loved having friends yeah it was a little too much why because because he already had kind of that so dumb well because he already did do that and it found better where it was Luke said he felt it because Luke now is outside the Institute running into Stackhouse and he hears Avery's last things where he tries to talk to Avery, doesn't get anything back but three words. And it's, they are my friends. Like they're my friends. They're yeah. my friends. And that and was that enough. That was so much more powerful than, and then as he died, yeah, cause then I we loved get, having friends. Because then like, one of those chapters was, gives us his whole backstory of how he was bullied in school. Blah, so blah, 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 and Give us that. his backstory, but have it in the beginning, like as right. he's telling Luke or as Luke is figuring it out about him, like something I'm fine with the backstory, but just the, the last this second. is my dying thought was so <laughs> dumb to me. I, it was unnecessary. Yeah. He was and dying so, a hero's death and it was really tragic. And then that's a little melodramatic took me out of it. <laughs> that took yeah. me out of all the emotion that I had of my character or my favorite character in the entire yeah. book dying. And, and so then it wraps up is what the climax is, is at the same time, the building's raising, crushing all the leftover Institute people. Um, Tim and Luke use Mrs. Sigsby as a distraction and they riddle her with- I think that was funny. They, the, Basically, the, they make her drive and she and Tim, as they got off the like private jet that drove them to- or, drove Jiminy Christmas that flew them to Maine. I promise I'm not drunk. I'm just so tired. Um <laughs> As they're getting off, there are hats for the company that owns the plane inside of it. And so he makes Sigsby put one on and he puts one on, but backwards. And so there's a spy watching them get off and they're like, okay, Sigsby got off, announced who she was. She's the good one in our, in our mind. Uh, She has her hat on forward. And then the bad guy, quote unquote, the one that's trying to be the hero has his hat backwards. (laughs) And then later, like literally 10 feet from the driveway for the Institute, he makes her get out and get into the driver's seat and turn her hat hat. backwards. (laughs) And so then they pull in and they open fire. 
she's like and, got her hand against <laughs> the uh the windshield, windshield. And, and they she's like riddle Don't her with bullets <laughs> they just fully open fire but stackhouse notices at the last second he's like oh and he's shit. like that's fine <laughs> and so and that's happening he's while the building like sorry julia sucks <laughs> to suck <laughs> yeah and so that happens while the building raises they crush it on the other half of the institute yeah. um the kids are safe at stackhouse... that point the entire building has lifted up into the air as a ball dropped... essentially yeah and dropped back down onto the administration building what i found so there's nobody left except stackhouse and the two people that were hidden in the woods and and i'm sorry like i felt like this was just a cop out to make the the ending easier to wrap up because it was kind of awful uh you heard that front half was now getting because all these kids there were more kids showing up at the institute but we Mm -hmm. were only connected to like this crew of five slash six whatever and so when they're escaping and avery's having the big sacrifice some of those new kids you got to know know a little bit and they just say oh they all got crushed in the ball yeah uh spoiler alert none of them survived but these children who just got kidnapped like two days ago didn't survive uh basically they say so I there was an excuse. Very, very briefly mentioned Harry or Henry. I don't remember exactly Harry. what his name was, but basically there was this 16-year-old kid that had been in front half at the same time as our main core five. And he got one of his tests and reacted badly to it and died from a really bad seizure from the test. And so what they say basically is once the power got this big and all of the people with the power were all connected like that, uh, the kids who hadn't had any of the tests yet and hadn't learned how to connect yet basically had seizures and, and all, died. all died before the remaining four kids could get out. Which I but felt at like the same was- time, it's like that like you said, did feel a bit like a cop-out. Like, we it, it only was, need to save the core. That's the only kids the people care about. Right, because it would have been an easy wrap-up, but it was also like, also so he, he could have the villain be like, so that the villain could have his moment at the end, the Lisp Man, which we'll get to in a sec. Yeah. But it was just like, you could have had all these kids saved and then it was the whistle was blown and they're all screwed and woo. But no, he wanted there to be an almost possibility that this wasn't it 100% was so solved. That there was a question mark at the ending. Right. So all these kids died, only the core five. And basically then what happens is it's three months later. Uh, is it, I want to say it was only a couple of weeks. No, it was three months because they, 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 they said three months because they referenced how last summer and all of that uh, gotcha. when they're there. And so Wendy and Tim are living together and they've taken in on all the kids. Farm. Yep, a random family farm. randomly has a farm that she's living on, and this is the first time we've heard about it. Orphan but now Annie. she and Tim and all the kids are living there. And orphan Annie too. And also orphan <laughs> Annie. Yes. And so she's kind of like she's kind of like the funny aunt. <laughs> this is so dumb. Really random. You're also a theater kid. Every time they called her orphan Annie, did you start singing tomorrow in your head? Because I no, did. No, but it kept and I popping hated up. It. Um, I hated it. I the music from Annie is only like so good. Some of the songs are really <laughs> solid. Some of them are not, but just like I don't need to sing them in my head ever. Yeah, and just I kept singing the song. It was too much. Yeah, it's it was just it was a lot, and so 
the so it ends with they're there and what they basically do is because they haven't revealed to the public everything because they know that nobody will fully believe this because now all the institutes across the world have crumbled and become nothing Mm -hmm. all the kids free across the world they basically all had these uprisings and And no institute or no big institute i should say which we'll get into none of the main ones are left and so they Ugh. so they've taken in the kids <laughs> and basically they're slowly having each kid end up at the same place mm-hmm. call a family member tim and wendy they're making the kids do this and uh calling whoever i mean i don't closest... think it's against their will no they're, no no but it's, it's, it's how to help them move they're on. finding um the closest family members that they right. have left and but they're all doing the same shtick where every it's... couple of weeks they're having they're left they're left of off at up. They're left off at this pier mm-hmm. and they call and basically are told, oh, they kidnapped me and let me go. Yeah, and it, I never and, saw who it was. No, I've never heard of these other children that were found here two weeks ago. Like, Wait, my parents are dead, even though they knew. Yeah. And so they play this farce so that they can just move on with their lives and that nobody will nobody will look too deep into it because it'll just be easier for everyone, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's to that the was last... honestly one of the most believable parts of the book for me. Exactly, and so then it's <laughs> Which is so the, sad. the last bit where the exposition dump. My God, Ugh. the the Tim goes la- to get the mail, and then and then and then and so he has only Luke, Nikki, and Kalisha left, mm-hmm. and the big boss, uh, Julia. Sigsby talks about this big boss with the list. The one that she's terrified of calling. We don't get to know. He literally just drives to the driveway and literally has this long talk, as we said, to explain what we said. He's monologuing. He's like the evil villain in a superhero movie. He's monologuing. I I, I literally got syndrome from The Incredibles. You got me monologuing. I can't believe this. (laughs) And so he- It's literally like these are the bullet (laughs) points. It's like he's talking about the thesis statement of the company. He's like, this is why we do what we do. This is how we do it. (laughs) He's giving a tour of the factory. Yeah, and so he goes by, he tells you the whole thing about how it's the government trying to protect the world from possible threats by killing domino effects. The example that they give is one of the, as the uprising was happening, basically through these movies, quote unquote, that the kids in back half are watching, they learn about their targets and that's how they are then triggered to force and kill them. And sometimes yeah. it looks like suicide. Sometimes it looks like a car accident, accident, you know, any number of things, but they learn about it through these movies. And the example that he gives, I kid you not, is this guy in the movies that they were watching right before the uprising so he's still alive now unless he died on his own i guess but they didn't end up killing him and he calls himself mr smith bob smith or bill smith or something yeah the big boss (laughs) the lisping man is like this guy that they were supposed to kill and then they didn't Hmm, go figure. He is an evangelical. He's going to befriend someone in 10 years, and they're going to become very close friends. And then 
10 years after that, that friend of this evangelical is going to become president. And then another 10 years go by. And then this evangelical best friend to the president is going Noops. to tell said president <laughs> that war is inevitable. And, and so then the said president starts a war and everyone dies. Like it's, it's just so... It's so bad harebrained scheme like it's ridiculous and then here's the thing is <laughs> because I'll, I'll tell the twist after but because then what how it just kind of closes uh because i because i want to end with my little tangent about how oh, they possibly possibly know of this but how it closes is basically luke tells him well you forgot about math probability ties to the sat oh test my God. um about basically yeah, it's exactly like that sat question that that girl <laughs> asked me about it it's the fact that that apparently... one i almost put the book down and was just like okay i'm done by <laughs> Basically, he explains the butterfly effect, but says it's a math equation thing that, you know, you can't... Which I'm sure it is. I didn't look that up either, and I right. don't remember the name. You but can't... Yeah, it's the math version of the butterfly effect. Basically like saying any that... any small choice, he could walk to work one day instead of driving and then could never meet the guy and nothing the, would happen. Like whatever. Because they say, we've stopped some. He's like, right, but you've stopped the ones that happen within the day you learn about them. So the probability changes that if it's happening the day you learn about it, it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. If it's supposed to happen 10 years from the day you learn about it, it's not going to happen. The so probability that it still happens is so small. And so basically he gives him an F you like, your institute is not going to him with a math equation. He tells him like these things probably didn't happen. Yeah. And <laughs> so wouldn't have happened, I should say. they said they're going to bring back the institute, but they know it's not going to happen. So he, the, the big Bob, Bill Smith tucks his tail between his legs and leaves. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Kalisha, That's my favorite. He literally backs away and is like, okay, bye. Don't tell anyone about us. Well, yeah. When Luke <laughs> first talks to him, he steps back knowing Luke is smart and powerful. And so then Nikki leaves to go to his family. Kalisha leaves to go to her family. And Luke is now living with Tim and Wendy. He'll have his happily ever yeah, after. Yeah, because he has no close no one else. relatives. Right. So Could the thing- live with Rolf is yeah, what I maybe. thought. But also it needed to have a happily ever after, which right. only happens if he lives with the only other character that we which, care about. Well, because it ties with Tim because Tim- was a divorcee because he didn't want kids with his wife or something. He couldn't get the courage to have kids. Now he loves having t uh, Luke, a 12 year old yeah. already made kid. Yeah. But the thing that made it awful was, okay, well, how did they know? How did they know these bad things were gonna happen? A smallest hint is that one of the doctors in the Institute thought there were more powers than just telepathy or telekinesis. Yeah. And so we, this- Luke learns that early. Yeah. Like and it's not touched upon until a now order of the way into the book like early we learn this and book, just ignores it for the rest this book becomes minority report have you it becomes literally minority report because they say <laughs> oh we have a real institute we have a secret one but it's not like this one it's like an all-inclusive resort institute like these <laughs> we'll people live there their whole lives and there are no tests they just tell us the future and it's because beautiful. they're they're precogs. They see the future. They get flashes. And I'm like, this is minority yeah, so report. Precognition. So they, right. they see the future. And Luke says, yeah, I learned about this. I'm like, when did you learn about that? I would have loved to see that as <laughs> the person so, reading. And so basically he says that they were the super rares. And Luke's like, they're not really that rare. They're everywhere. They're and basically everywhere. 
yeah he's like it's basically have you have you felt deja vu have you gotten a feeling cop shows always call them following their gut tim you got off of that airplane you you had a moment of precognition like and that's supposed to be that fate talk that's supposed to be the fate connection is you think wait is is tim a precog it's so dumb it tries to tie everything together and so that's what's just irritated me is because as soon as i was reading that i go this is tom cruise's minority report that's what this is now but from what i know of it yes (laughs) it's literally that for people who haven't seen it sorry it's like 2001 movie is it's literally cops it's okay the book's in the past anyway right the the cops in the future have precogs who can predict murder before it happens so they go and arrest them before murder's committed hilarious and and that's it and so when i read this i was like this is minority report yeah a little more supernaturally like worse and so i just and so that's a part of the exposition dump and i'm just like you've got to be kidding me and then they basically tell him to screw off and then they have their happy ending where everybody gets to go live on and and that's basically the best wrap-up we could give of that story it just the whole thing there wasn't really i love so i couldn't find any book club discussion questions like there were none about this book and I I'm gonna be honest I didn't want to think about the book long enough to come up with my own so I don't really have any the only thing that I have is this like ethical question basically of and I don't remember the name of the person who originally posed it but it's an actual thing where it's the ethical problem of if you tomorrow knowing everything that you knew had a time machine and went back in time and killed Hitler as a baby would you would that be right or would you be in the wrong because you're killing a child and that's all he based this book off of basically he was like take a little bit of that take a <laughs> a whole dose of sci-fi uh kids with superpowers throw in a dash of police procedural and you got a book yeah and, and like i said i loved the concept it's what made me grab the book mm-hmm. the execution just did not work for me it could have been 150 like pages the, shorter yes hardcore I just feel like the parts of the story that were the strongest, the relationship between the kids and specifically between Luke and Avery, Tim and Luke's interactions, like the getting investigation them to trust with each it. other. Yeah, the part at the the sheriff's department, like all of these things, there were some really strong moments and some really strong aspects to the book that did that I did really like and did make me enjoy parts of the book and that's why I can't say that I didn't like the book I just didn't there was love too it, much you know? slow down I just he didn't give enough attention I don't think to those really strong things and those really strong moments I think he was trying to focus too much on making this seem like what he used to write something that was dark and heavy so he mm. wanted to I feel like he was focusing on the shock factor Right. He and was fo- he was like the shock of the things that I'm saying are happening to these children. That's going to be enough for people to recommend this book. And right. To love and this it's book. like, no, it just wasn't quite enough for me. No, because I will say what I did is about halfway through. I wanted to see what Amazon reviews said. 
Mm. And majority was, it was five I, I read some of the Goodreads reviews too. Majority, it was five stars. And so halfway through, I was like, really? And then it was like, it was always fives or fours and there were ones. But what I laughed about for the ones is the ones all said the same thing. How dare he talk about Trump like that? <laughs> it was all the one stars is it was people mad when he had a Trump reference when there's only like four in the 500 page book. There's one line where I don't remember exactly what it was. It's at the very end. It's during the exposition. Orphan dump, Annie insults Trump. Where, yeah, Orphan Annie says something about uh, my aunt or whoever might have been a precog. She knew that this, my cousin whoever it was shouldn't go to this party and then that very night the party caught on fire and <laughs> Kalisha turns to her and is like yeah what did she think of uh Trump getting elected and uh, god Orphan the Annie just throws line an was really funny I should have again <laughs> written that down but it was something about no one could have seen that shit happening and then right. they high five and that's it. <laughs> Those were the only bad reviews I saw on Amazon was people who thought, stop getting political, Stephen King. It was that's like, it was so it was funny. Like four sentences Goodreads, I didn't see that in any reviews. So I, I didn't read them until after I finished the book. But yeah, that was not in a single one of them that I saw. Well, so that's hilarious, actually. So to wrap up, because I think we're at that point, we've gone through the story, we've gotten our bits. Uh, only other thing I want to say, the uh -huh. one note that I made was at like 3 a.m. one morning. I was so tired. And during that shootout, Wendy, the good girlfriend cop, uh, shoots Mrs. Sigsby in the leg. <laughs> and she's like, why the hell did you shoot me? And Wendy <laughs> turns to her and is like, I'm sorry, are you stupid? Why do you think I shot you? But I, <laughs> I was sitting in bed, my husband sleeping next to me, and I literally turned to my journal and wrote, LOL, Sigsby asked why they shot her. <laughs> <laughs> and I was apparently so far gone at that point. I was like to the giggly part of sleepy, I guess, because I, I can show you, that is literally what it says. Oh my God, that's so funny for podcasters not youtubers it's literally there in the journal yeah uh, with an arrow next to it like pay attention to this <laughs> this happened uh, it yeah was so just funny <laughs> I said, the, the concept i liked i think one of the things is like one of the like what did an author say about this book on the cover was that they said mm -hmm. something about like the the child like relationship the child charisma of it so that makes me excited to read it because the children interactions were the best part of the book. I have heard so, it is one of his best works. So, so I'm excited. One, I think I will still read eventually. Yeah, I'm excited to see how that plays out in it. Um, and like you said, there are high moments. There are great, well-written moments of story progression, of character interaction. Mm -hmm. It's just bogged down with like exposition in the wrong places, detail, over-detailed parts that don't need to be just for the shock factor or just to be somewhat of a scary or cringy book. Yeah. And it just was unnecessary. It's like scary movies that aren't tense or scary in the sense of like, you're on the edge of your seat, you're scared in that sense, but are just very gory. It or felt just have a, a bit like that to me where it was just, he was trying to be like, look how terrible I can be to these children in this book or look how uh, how much of a gross out factor I can give you for the 
ward a and the children in it like right it's the it seemed like he was trying to get us with the gross out factor it's it's the blood it's the blood massacre effect or like when a movie's just jump scares like you know it's about to happen like oh it's gonna jump out the closet three seconds later haha it jumped out the closet and just like that's it so when the music starts before the jump scare and you're like oh and then it gets silent and then so final thoughts it i didn't hate it I thought I was going to halfway through, but that last third really saved it for me of not That's being- That's I was too. Halfway, I was aw- convinced I was going to hate it. It's not an awful book, but it could have been so much better and so yeah. much more reined in. And I think it would have been a classic for me, it, for my personal library, if it just tightened up a bit. Exactly. I think because I read a good amount of thriller and even thriller kind of, towing the line to horror. Like I read some scary books. I read books that I regret reading past my bedtime and then can't sleep. Like I read scary books and I enjoy them sometimes, (laughs) but I don't know, because again, this one I feel like was counting on the shock factor and the like, oh, gross. I think if it had been about 400, 450 pages, and they had focused a little bit more on those parts again that we said were pretty strong and a little bit less on these are exactly the tests that are happening. I think you need a certain level of that. Otherwise the reader's like, what are the tests? Like, why are we not getting that? But hearing about the same tests over and over again, I think was not necessarily needed. So if it had tightened up a little bit, if it had focused just just the tiniest bit more on the characters and their relationships, and if we had gotten just a little bit of a different ending, I think I would have really loved it. I just, I, at no point did I feel drawn into this book. An idea that came to mind is, um, just now, is the parts where it feels like, the parts that feel like it could be cut if it needed to be this long, I feel like we could have gone back and forth between Tim and Luke in the Institute. Almost like what, a full double perspective type thing. Well, yeah. And what if Tim's story was he was accidentally discovering the stringers and the, the people who were somewhat uh, attached to the Institute who were spies? Because uh, a quick little go back, uh, Tim's thing ends with, like I said, two kids mug a guy and he's trying to save his life. And they say that they're kids. I thought this was somehow going to be attached to the Institute. Like they were kids that escaped before. Or I something mean, like that. they're not fully kids. They run this basically a 7-Eleven, but a, a convenience store. No, no, no. Uh, the, the ones who, who do mug him, the ones that uh, mug the brothers. Cause they said it looked like it was young kids who came and oh, took the money. Okay. So I thought it was going to be somehow tied to the Institute. So I thought, Tim was going to go on this like investigation as just the night knocker and it would have tied together with the Institute and been all this, but it was just, no, it was just the event that made him almost a a cop again. And so it was just like, I feel like there was just (laughs) almost, almost made him a cop again. That no, that's the word. That's the word that I put with this book. Almost just that it's an almost it. Everything was just that. And so it's, I don't hate it. I didn't mean to thrash on Stephen King my first read no, with him. like I said, I liked this book. I There were parts that I really enjoyed. I When I do my review, we'll probably give it three stars out, out of five, five probably. Okay. I just, 
there were so many things that could have been more for me, I think. Yep. And there were exactly. some things that definitely could have stood to be less for me. <laughs> like I said, it's an almost. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was a near miss. I'm thinking that maybe Stephen King just isn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be. Which I feel like in the book community, Stephen King, you either love him or you don't read any of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there isn't very much in between. Like I said, I think it will probably still be on my list to read at some point, just because mm-hmm. I enjoyed the original with Tim Curry. I know yeah. that story. I think from what I've heard about it, it should be pretty good character-driven story. But just, I'm thinking overall from reading this and reading Carrie a couple years ago I'm thinking maybe Stephen King just isn't overall for me and I think and I think maybe I'll like his shorter ones it's massive but Mm -hmm. Carrie and Cujo and some of those others are shorter and so when it is Carrie I want to say is a around 300 pages again I read it when I was 19 so it was a while ago but right the parts that moved were like a lot happened and it was a hundred something pages so I feel like his shorter stuff works Mm-hmm. will probably work for me but when he's trying to make an epic like this yeah he kind of he just you does could a lot tell. of tell he was like this padding. is gonna be a blockbuster film <laughs> yeah and that almost bugged me more than anything was you could tell he was like this scene is gonna be a perfect movie scene yeah and i'm like okay but the book though <laughs> <laughs> what some about of us this? read those yeah so I'd say, are we on the same page about this? Yeah, we're both just iffy with it. It was... So overall, would you recommend it? And if so, who would you recommend it to? I don't know if I could just because, like I said, there are great highs, mm-hmm. but I just feel like the 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 highs weren't enough for it. I feel like the highs get weighed down by the padding and the... yeah rest of it so i couldn't recommend it if you're a normal stephen king fan who reads everything he's got to read sure go ahead you know add it to your library you probably have already read it or planning to read it anyway but as someone who wants a good engrossing kind of like dark story this isn't it i'm kind of the same boat maybe just a little bit to one side i would say obviously like you said if you are a huge stephen king fan You've probably already read it, but if you haven't, go for it. It is, for the most part, a pretty compelling story. It's just pretty slow. So just kind of prepare yourself for a bit of a long read. I would say if, I think that if you are someone that pretty consistently reads pretty thick fantasy, like you are really used to kind of long-winded for lack of a better term that's not necessarily the kindest term but that's all I can really think of to describe it right now Um, but kind of long-winded story building uh, setting building and then character building a lot of background in some places and setting a lot of the scenes really descriptive parts if you pretty consistently read fantasy you would be pretty used to a lot of that in my experience with fantasy uh so if you're looking for just some darker material this might be a great book for you uh but I think that if you go into this 
kind of not to speak for you, but kind of like you did, if I'm correct and correct me if I'm wrong, if you go into this expecting this is going to be like a scary movie, but on pages, I think that this might not be the perfect book for you. And like I said, I don't remember which episode it was. One of the recent episodes, not every book is going to be for every person. And there are books that I really don't like that are very highly reviewed on Goodreads or on Amazon and vice versa. There are books that have an average of about two or three stars that I just really loved. So if the story just sounds really enticing to you, please read it. We're not telling you that you shouldn't, uh, but these are our thoughts and maybe would I tell my friends who like true crime to read it? Maybe not. It's much more of a sci-fi read than it is a horror or even a thriller to me. I would say, I mean, look, like we said, we looked at the online reviews. Majority of people seem to like it. So maybe just for us, it wasn't our cup of tea. Yeah. Maybe maybe we're the outliers. So and like I said, it's possible that this is just telling me Stephen King is not my guy. Mm-hmm. And that is totally okay. And so that, you know, might be part of it is I just don't really mesh well with his writing style or something. Just like with people, maybe you go to a party and meet 10 people, four or five of them you won't really get along with. It's the same thing with books and with authors. It's possible that maybe I just don't get along with him and his writing style. So yeah, if it sounds interesting, I say go for it. Just prepare for a bit of a long read. But if you're not already drawn into it, I would say maybe it's not the read for you. Yeah. So with that, yeah, we're on the same page of it just being kind of an iffy book for us. But yeah, Mm. so you want to tell them where they can find us? I sure will. Let's wrap us up. You can email us anytime at the same page pod at gmail.com. Again, that'll be in the description in case you don't know how to spell anything, but it is just the name of the podcast for the most part. So should be pretty self-explanatory. If you have any books you think we should read for the podcast, any questions, collaboration requests, or if you've read any of our upcoming reads, like once we announce our November read, if you've read it uh, and have questions or discussion topics that you would like us to include, go ahead, leave us a comment, send us an email. We'd really like for you guys to be a part of our discussions with us, if at all possible. And then if you want to reach out to me specifically, you can find me on my blog, which hosts all of my full reviews, my tours, anything that I do collaborating with authors and publishers, couldn't think of the word, uh, at tacklingtbr.home.blog and as well on Instagram at tackling underscore TBR. And then as for the podcast, you can find and connect with us on Instagram at the same page podcast, on Twitter at the same page pod, and can find us also on Facebook and YouTube just by searching the same page podcast. And then as always, the last thing I'm going to say is if you are listening to our show and you like what you hear, please consider heading to Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you're listening to us. If it's on YouTube, or maybe if by the time you're listening to this, Amazon Music is working, wherever you're listening to it, 
and subscribing, giving us a positive rating, and leaving your thoughts in a review. It's a process, it really only takes a couple of minutes, but it really means the world to small shows like us and helps us get introduced to more bookish folks. Yeah, and so we're Stephen King, The Institute, very interesting read. We're very excited to announce our November book, Come Our Next yes. Check-In, with a extra surprise with that announcement as well. <laughs> we'll so leave it. make sure to keep an eye on our Instagram just in case we announce it early. We might for this one mm -hmm. just because it's kind of a special uh, book discussion episode. Mm -hmm. But either way, that check-in episode will go live November 15th. And then December, we will hopefully be our first month of trying to do two books. October didn't go so well because this was a little bit of a long read, but I am officially mm -hmm. going to be starting two books for November. So if I get yes. that done, prepare so for more episodes. send any uh, well wishes for fast reading <laughs> or also threats uh, to <laughs> our Instagram. Again, that is at the same page podcast. And I will make sure he sees them. <laughs> Even though I run the, the uh, Instagram, I don't know why I'm saying that. Send them anyway. I will screenshot them and send them to Dana to encourage him to read many a books. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.